You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Dead authors, fresh takes, and the epilogues you never knew you needed. Hello and welcome to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that shrieks villains! Dissemble no more! I admit the deed! Tear up the planks! Here, here, it does the beating of his hideous heart! I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And this is our second spooky Halloween episode. Because Halloween is the best ever. And so we figured we would round out the month of October with a celebration of a true master of gothic terrors, Edgar Allan Poe. We're not really going to be focusing on... One work in particular, we're kind of going to be doing this the way we did with Emily Dickinson. Who? 16 episodes and 10,000 years ago. Pretty much everybody's had to read, or at least is familiar with, um, some of his more famous works, like the poem The Raven, or the short stories um, The Telltale Heart, the Why Are You Looking at Me Like That? That is him, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Did you not get that I was doing a bit? Yeah, I was wondering opener. why. Holy shit. Why is Reagan screaming about hearts and things? I thought it was weird. I thought it was just you know, spooky. You just researched a whole biography of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, Paul the House of Usher, the Raven. Yeah. The Castle my, of Amontillado. My, the, the, uh, the Pendulum. Whatever her name is. Lenore. No. There's Annabelle Lee. Yeah. And the tell- Telltale Heart just did it. One of the most, like, parodied in popular culture. Passed you by. You know my favorite Edgar Allan Poe work? What? His mustache. Yeah, it was a beautiful work of art. And it will be mourned along with the rest of his achievements for many years to come. Yeah. So, sit back, I guess, if you're in a place where you're sitting back and enjoy an episode of spooks creeps and the city of boston again why does that keep happening to us he doesn't spend that much time in boston no but he has a lot of feelings about boston which we'll get to yeah. It's a catchy song. Yep. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe was a huge Dropkick Murphys fan. Yeah. He had a t-shirt and everything. That's why his middle name was Murphy. He was an Edgar Murphy Poe. Edgar Murphy Allen Poe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you know so much about Edgar Allan Poe, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about him, RJ? Edgar Allan Poe, born Edgar Poe. The whole Allen business came later in life. He was born January 19th, 1809, and died October 7th, 1849. Little Eddie Poe was born in the bastion of hate known as Boston. Even though he's usually remembered as Baltimore's favorite son. It was here, in his hometown of Boston, they would create the Poe Boy Sandwich. Named after Poe. 
That's not true. Even yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it is. No. Yes. It's not even spelled the same. So, our lawyers tell us that I must be real for a minute here. There's only one lawyer, and it's you. You're the and, show's lawyer. And what you know, <laughs> that the previous fact was, in fact, not true. Who's the other lawyer that I don't know about? Po' boy sandwiches have to do with poor boys and not po' boys. He's just a po' boy from a poor family. And they were not invented in Boston. Anyway. Who's the second lawyer? Poe was born to two first-generation Americans whose families emigrated from Ireland. Dropkick Murphys. Well, they were in Boston. I mean, there's a historical context to this. It ain't rocket science. His parents were both actors. Elizabeth Arnold Hopkins Poe and David Poe. Eddie was the second of three children. Some biographers speculate Eddie was named after a character in Ono Class's alums, Big Willie Shakespeare, King Lear. As his parents were both performing in it during the year little Eddie was born. His older brother was William Henry Leonard Poe. That's involved. And his young sister was Rosalie Poe. Only his older brother was allowed to have middle names, apparently. Apparently. They just blew their wad. Gross. At the wee old age of one, Eddie's dad did his best impersonation of a dad going out for milk and never returning. Because he went out for milk and never returned. Actors, man. Acting. Can't rely on them. The next year, when little Eddie was two, his mom did her best acting job of dying. By dying. That's... Acting. That's commitment. (laughs) And acting. So, Eddie was orphaned. Cheerful. Not, Not being much of an actor at the age of two, he couldn't really do the whole Oliver Twist thing. Excuse me, sir. May I have another? No. What the fuck was that? Oliver Twist. It's... Okay. <laughs> this is well-trodden ground at this point. You know it's, please, sir, I want some more. Now, can I have another? He wanted another parent. He didn't even... He probably just wanted a parent. He was he, two. He would have been happy with one. Oh, my God. He was two. It's so fucking sad. He lost both parents. He's two years old. He was going to die at 40 and be defamed by some prick because they both were, like, petty fucks and no one knows who's telling the biography here you or me so eddie was put up for adoption lucky for him he got taken in by two fine folks by the name of john and francis allen this is where that whole allen business comes in how about that oddly the two never formally adopted him they just took him in down to their virginia home and raised him you you make it sound like they just found him on the street and was just like this is ours now kind of what it was (laughs) i see they wanted him, but they didn't want to formalize it. Yeah, you know, just in case they could drop it at any moment and move on. Take him back to the shelter. So John Allen was a successful Scottish merchant. He dealt with a variety of goods. Cloth, wheat, tobacco, tombstones. Oh, and uh, slaves. Virginia, mm. you know. In short, John Allen... Wait, what the fuck was that? Virginia, you know? Uh, kind of part of the South, you know. It's still weird to me that Virginia is considered the South, geographically speaking. Yeah? We live in Florida. Anything north of fucking South Carolina is the north to me. Yeah, well, you're wrong. Throughout Eddie's childhood, John Allen would at times spoil him and at times harshly discipline him. This was a cycle that would never really end. Eddie was sent to grammar school at the age of six and stayed in school basically the rest of his childhood years. At the age of 15, Poe signed up to be part of the Richmond, Virginia 
Youth Honor Guard. During his time doing that, he obtained the rank of lieutenant and got to help out on a celebration for the Marquis de Lafayette and got to meet the guy. Lafayette. Yes, you Hamilton fans, this is the same. Marquis de Lafayette. Lafayette. You know all those songs about. Take by the coast, by the rays, make a red coast ready with blood stains. Okay. By the time Poe was 16, his kind of adopted, almost, uh, dad was doing pretty well financially. A wealthy Virginian by the name of William Galt died and left John Allen a whole bunch of money. Enough money for Allen to buy a house named Moldavia. Yes, the house had a name. Moldavia? And it was named Moldavia. Moldavia. That seems more like it should be like a Eastern European country. Yeah, the house is named Moldavia, and Eddie's almost adoptive dad bought it. That's pretty weird. Like, hey guys, you want to come over to my house? Fucking Castle Dracula. Yeah, Eddie lived in a house named Moldavia. That probably uh, contributed to his problems. So, off to the University of Virginia Poe went. That's the same University of Virginia founded by Hamilton miniboss Thomas Jefferson, who was still alive at the time. Thomas Jefferson's coming home. Him and Poe were contemporaries. That's weird to think about. Kind of weird. That's a funky timeline. Thomas Jefferson would have had been old as fuck, though, right? I think he was always old. He always had that white hair, you know? As for Eddie's almost adopted parents, Eddie stayed rather close to the Allens up until he went away to college, like most college kids. Him and New Dad argued over money. Apparently, New Dad liked to gamble. In particular, he liked to gamble eddie's college fund away if he's been his dad since he was two he's not really new dad at this point well, he's not formal dad or legal dad so he's still new dad or almost dad almost dad we can go with so almost dad gambled all his money away yeah so after one semester at the university of virginia eddie had to drop out of college broke and unable to pay to continue on so at the age of 18 eddie was a dropout and broke what was a boy to do he enlisted at West Point. He enlisted under the name of Edgar A. Perry and claimed he was 22. And Eddie made bank. Uh, scratch that. Eddie made some money. He made about a dollar a week. Wow. Well, what, what, what do we know what the equivalent to that is? Not enough. Okay. This wound up not really suiting old Eddie all that well. He washed out as a cadet after deciding he wanted to be a poet and a writer and there was no room for that kind of sissory as a cadet at West Point. But before he could drop out and end his enlistment early, his commanding officer made Poe write a letter to Almost Dad, begging Almost Dad to release Eddie from his commitment. Now, if uh, Poe's Almost Dad was some schlub, he was going to get stuck. But because Poe let it be known who he really was, the commanding officer was going to cut Poe some slack and really cut almost dad some slack if he wanted to eventually not at first almost dad relented upon returning home poe went to spend some time with his widowed aunt maria clem and at his house he met his first cousin virginia eliza at, clem at, at his house or well came his house at, yeah at his aunt's house hey <laughs> he married into it but so at the aunt's house he met his first cousin virginia eliza clem who was six years old at the time he hung out with his older brother and his invalid grandmother it was just a gay old time with his blood relatives. Yeah. Shortly after that, when Eddie was 20, his almost mom died. Now, being a bit older, Eddie reached down deep into his acting roots and became the prodigal son and returned home to reconcile things with him and Gambor almost dad. What does that have to do with his acting roots? 
He was, he was mad at dad. Oh, it wasn't like an actual to... reconcilement? Well, I don't know. Uh, you just making shit up. It was a real Hallmark Family Channel kind of movie. But all the good things have to a come Hallmark to an end. Hallmark Family Channel kind of movie. Yeah? Okay. Son goes home. Dad, you have a problem. <laughs> dad, we gotta talk about the problems. We're gonna work our way through. All the Hallmark movies I know are all about getting laid at Christmas. But all good things have to come to an end. The two began to quarrel again and then broke off their rekindled relationship. Eddie kept the name, though. So let's review. Eddie was 20. He had two moms die on him. He had one dad die or disappear on him. The other dad gambled his college fund away. He dropped out of the service academy because he couldn't cut it because he wanted to write poetry with his life instead. He was living in Virginia, which is for lovers, but he was a single man. So things were going great for Eddie. Why is Virginia for lovers? It just is. Is there anything specific about it? Ah, Virginia says Virginia's for lovers. Who am I to disagree? Is that where the horny goat weed grows? Maybe. Or maybe the super horny goat weed. Perhaps. He was having a hard time making ends meet doing the poetry thing, so he switched over to prose. This allowed him to work for some literary journals and periodicals. He managed to make a meager life out of it. This worked for several years, and during this time he became known for his style of literary criticism. Things weren't all that great for Eddie, then again, they never really were. Nope. He had to shift jobs, which forced him to hopscotch around the northeastern area, spending time in Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York City, and Richmond. You see, Eddie was one of the first writers to try to make his living by just writing. It was a tough thing to do at the time. At this point, there was nothing known as international copyright law. So why would American publishers pay Eddie or really any American author's big bucks to publish if they could just basically steal stuff published overseas and publish it stateside for free. It's the American way. Yeah, the economics <laughs> did not really work that well for Eddie. Eddie had a hard time keeping jobs due to his drinking problems that he developed. In particular, while an editor at the Southern Literary Messenger, his drinking became so bad that he was suspended. He begged and pleaded to get his job back, and after multiple promises of good behavior, he got the job back. So what did his good behavior entail? Well, Dateline, 1836. At the age of 27, he married Virginia Clem, his 13-year-old cousin, who he met when she was six. Yeah. Splendid indeed. Way to go, Eddie. This will turn it all around for you, I'm yeah. sure. Underaged incest always has that ability. Mm. Or so I'm led to believe. It'll cure what ails you. And not only was it underage incest, but family members lied in the church that the marriage happened, attesting to the fact little Virginia was 21 years old. That's a big leap. Yeah, grand. I'm sure Big Man in the Sky was very proud of all of them. Mm. Uh, he did join AA, though. Stop drinking. <laughs> Maybe for two seconds. Trying to get a more steady income, having a wife and all, Poe tried to join the Tyler administration, having made some political connections during his time as a cadet. He had a meeting with President Tyler's son, who promised Eddie a job in the Customs House in Philadelphia, where Eddie and uh, Virginie were living at the time. We never still did figure out what goes on at a Customs House. Politics. Leave it to Polo, he failed to show for the meeting. He claimed he was sick, whereas everyone else seems to remember it as Eddie being sick as in drunk off his ass. Not too long after that, things only got worse for Eddie and his wife of wonderment and good times. Just a fucking waltz down the rainbow trail. Virginia was in the family room playing the piano, singing along when the tuberculosis hit. Eddie described it as if a blood vessel in Virginia's throat burst. Yeah, so she was singing, hitting those high notes, just as blood shot out of her mouth and into the world. 
real exorcist kind of shit. Yeah, it doesn't get more Halloween than that, I guess. Watching your cousin wife just start barfing up blood. Which is actually the inspiration for the short story Mask of the Red Death. This led Eddie to drink even more. King Yug, it would lead me to drink. He still had some editing jobs, believe it or not. But those began to dry up when he began accusing everyone in sight, including Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, of plagiarism. We'll get to that too, actually. This does not play well in the literary circles. Around this time in 1845, Eddie published a small little thing called The Raven. It made Poe famous. It was a smash. And Eddie, in the most Eddie way possible, was paid $9 for it. (sighs) Virginia never recovered from her bout with consumption. She just kind of withered away and died, eventually dying. She withered away and died, eventually dying. (laughs) (laughs) Or she withered away, eventually dying, January 30th, 1847, after 12 years of marriage, which means, math majors at home, she was 25. She was almost married for half of her life. That's good to know. Naturally, Eddie took this in stride. Or not. He tried to date a few other women here and there, but he continued to battle alcoholism, so he wasn't exactly good dating material. He was actually, like, a major philanderer, though. Like, he was, like, running around with other women. Yes. Yeah, before Virginia was alive. Guess he hopefully was not consummating that marriage. Um, But yeah, he was actually considered, like, a ladies' man, which, all evidence to the contrary, but, like, women would fight to have him come to, like, their parties and read his poetry, which is especially weird because his poetry isn't like sexy love poetry it's it's torturous death poetry but yeah ladies were like falling all over themselves being like i want edgar at my house eventually eddie got his curtain call what was it that did him in like five different things maybe well it could have been the alcohol it could have been brain congestion which i don't think is a diagnosis anymore it could have been cholera Wait, like a congest, like sinus brain? They called it brain congestion. (laughs) The brain has a stuffy nose? Could have been cholera, assorted drugs, heart disease, rabies, tuberculosis, or suicide. Maybe all these things combined. Or it could have been political fraud. What we do know (laughs) is that on October 3rd, 1849, Eddie was wandering around delirious through the streets of Baltimore. And according to the guy who found Eddie, Eddie was, quote, in distress and in need of immediate assistance. Eddie was brought to a nearby hospital and died four days later. Now, a few things about his death. One, Eddie never recovered enough to explain what was going on. Instead, he kept repeating the name Reynolds during his final days. And perhaps oddest of all, he was wearing some other guy's clothes when he was found. Poe's final words were supposedly, quote, Lord, help my poor soul. Indeed. Now, for you conspiracy nuts out there, all of Eddie's medical records, including his death certificate, have been lost to time. In pure Eddie fashion, the guy who became Eddie's literary executor was Rufus Wilmot Griswold. We'll get to that. Who hated Eddie's guts. We'll get to that. I want to talk about it. It's not clear today why this guy became Eddie's literary executor. That is a good executor, and uh, that's a good question. (laughs) But it's clear he wanted to destroy and demonize Eddie in his death. He wrote the first biography about Eddie that was full of lies and half-truths. He forged letters to make Eddie seem like a drug dealer. Eventually, this was cleared up by people who knew Eddie 
It did. I mean, it's what led to like some of the most popular misconceptions about him being like an opium addict and that when he was found that he was stoned and wearing women's clothing and all this weird shit. Um, but we didn't, you got to talk about the political fraud thing. Maybe that's like the best conspiracy theory. It's not real though. It's not what happened. You don't know that. Well, it then... would explain, it would explain a lot of things. Like why he's wearing other dude's clothes. They wouldn't kill them. Well, no, but they would. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying it might have contributed. Okay, so there was a thing back in the day, and it was called cooping. And what it was, people who wanted, if there was like a political race going on, and people wanted uh, one side to win, that there would be gangs, and they would quite corner a person and like Shanghai them and beat the shit out of them until they were like kind of delirious. And then just sort of push them towards the polling place, make them vote for who they wanted, and then they'd grab them again, and they'd like have them put on different clothes, and you know, so they'd look like different people and make them do that so they could vote multiple times. And so some people think that Poe might have been the victim of cooping, and that's why he had on clothes that weren't his, which also begs how did they know those weren't his clothes, actually? monograms i guess and so yeah i mean that's probably not gonna be a reason for death like maybe he was also sick or he had like the cholera or something like that but i'm sure getting the crap kicked out of you wouldn't help okay conspiracy theory my problem with the theory yeah is he died in october yeah we have elections in november even back then yeah and no one alleges there was any elections going on in Baltimore at the time. So were they, like, practicing? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to come by in a month. Remember this fucking beating? Preseason. Oh, for William Harry Harrison. Henry Harrison. William Harry Harrison. <laughs> William, old Harry. Okay. Harry Harrison. Harry the Harriest. Harry and the Hendersons. The only thing I got left is the uh, toast man. So, Eddie, been dead for a while. Yeah, sometime. Now, about 60 years ago. Some guy started to show up at Eddie's former grave, where he was initially buried, and started pouring cognac out right at that former grave. No, he would leave a bottle. He would toast. He would do a little toast and drink it, and then leave the bottle. It wasn't like it wasn't like he was pouring out a forty for Eddie Allen Poe. I think he poured some out. <laughs> and he would also lay down three roses: one for Eddie, one for old Virginie, and one for Virginie's mom, Mary. And then he would make some hand signal, and he would walk away. And he would do this every year, up until the uh, bicentennial of Eddie's death. Became known as the Poe Toaster. Even thought to have been multiple generations of Poe Toasters, because the guy was different sizes. Uh, At some point, like a smaller guy, like, took over. Well, they wrote notes saying, this is my final time, but... The tradition will continue. They wrote notes. They left notes. So yes, we the know. The Toaster will be back in we, Avengers in, 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 Infinity the guy, War. The guy passed it on to like multiple sons. So yes. it was his son. The last son hated doing it. He, he started leaving behind weird, pissy, cryptic notes. And he, people got mad. Well, he picked the New York Giants over the Baltimore Ravens in the Super Bowl. And he was wrong. The Ravens came through. And can you imagine the Poe Toaster of all people picking against the Baltimore Ravens? Seriously. Yeah. Like, that pissed off Baltimore people the most. But so this family stopped at the Bicentennial. And then so there was a year when no one showed up. And then the year after that, like 10 people showed up, but they didn't know the gang sign to throw. And so we know it's not the real Potosters. And didn't they all almost try to fight each other or something? There was one of the times where like multiple fake Potosters showed up and almost got into like a fist fight. So they wanted to prove who's the most <laughs> Potoster of them all. But what's weird to me... 
is he's not buried there anymore. <laughs> right? Like, he's not there. What are we doing? Where is he? He, he was dug up and moved. To? I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere. But not there. He's not out. Not where these people are showing up. Hey. Well, if they don't know where he is. And Virginia was <laughs> basically, uh, what's her name? Fucking Nowis Walker, you know, fucking just sticking yeah. a goddamn gravestone. Might, might be here. Might be here. Zora Neale Hurston. I don't know where she is. I'll go outside. I'll just start pouring cognac all over the place. Here's to you, Zora. I don't know where you are. Thanks, Alice Walker. But yeah, we know Eddie's not there for sure. These people just need somewhere to go. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what the hell? This, they, they, this really bothers you. Yeah, so how they go to where the body actually is, not where it was originally. Maybe they can't get to it. Maybe it's like private property or something. I don't know. Get as close as you can. But so reporters would show up and they would take pictures. And they would try to interview these people and they don't want to talk. Quiet. Shh. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a mysterious. Leave some fucking mystery in the world. And also the choice of cognac, it's weird because it's a cognac that Poe never mentioned in his writings. They could have just as easily picked something that Poe wrote about. So we don't know. Like, why like, like the Amontillado. Yes. <laughs> Although my favorite note that they left is... In 2003-2004, at the height of the Iraq War, which France did not want to be part of, the cognac the family had been leaving behind was French. And the note they left behind is, this French cognac is not worthy of Eddie Poe. In fact, nothing French is, but it's tradition. Getting weirdly political there, Poe Toaster. Yeah, that was the son. That was after the old man moved on. Yeah. Don't know about those Poe Toaster, the sequels. So as far as we know, the last Poe Toast happened January 19th, 2009. Although there's unofficial Poe Toasters out. They picked a new guy. Yeah, in like 2015, they did a whole contest and they didn't reveal the winner because they wanted the guy to be a secret, but that there's the new official Poe Toaster. Yeah, that doesn't count. That's bullshit. That's fake. I guess. The, the, they want to continue a tradition. You know who likes a tradition? The graveyard, and they've admitted to it. This is great for them because people show up and they care. Oh, yeah, they fucking love it. Yeah, free pub. They were the ones who got the maddest when the Potoaster's kids started leaving pissy notes. Yeah, there you go. Every time we say Potoaster, I just imagine, like, a really sad toaster with, like, a mustache. You know what would be good? The brave little toaster had the face of Edgar Allan Poe on it. Yeah, that's basically what I'm picturing every time we say Potoaster. The Potoaster. (laughs) Stick some bagels in them. They'll come out sad. I think Poe was cut. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Well, probably. Watch. I would have went with no. No. It was like 1849, and he wasn't Jewish. Why the fuck would he be circumcised? Oh, yeah, 1840. Okay, fair. Fair. <laughs> if it was like 1900s, and I'd say probably. So, yes. Edgar Allan Poe was probably uncircumcised. It, it, <laughs> is this going to be a thing? Like, with every every time we do a male writer, just be like, Think his dick was cut? No, I don't think we ever asked for Big Willie Shakespeare, even though we've had him on for multiple episodes. It was the 1600s or whatever the fuck. Dude did not have a cut penis. He had an earring. That was the one against... uh, What, you think uh, he had one in his wiener? Maybe. It's true. It's possible. He was a wild guy. So, So, Edgar Allan Poe. Uncircumcised. More than likely. Also, speaking of dick jokes, could have easily been referred to as a prickly sort of dude with many of his contemporaries inclined to leave off the ly eddie poe he actually did go by eddie for once this isn't just rj wanting to give writers demeaning nicknames like he went by eddie for a a lot of his life he was basically the embodiment of just like the 
fucking fight me meme. Just like a saucy little ball of rage. Oh, so you're saying he's a Redditor. It kind of was in a way, and I'm going to get to that. So here is a general list of the people and things that Poe hated. One, transcendentalism. Because, you know, fuck you, hippies. I guess we've talked about transcendentalism on the show before that it was you know emerson and Thoreau and people megan don't want to do longfellow and well we could do a Thoreau episode well either way edgar Allan poe hated transcendentalists and he hated transcendentalism he also hated as rj said before henry longfellow because poe, wadsworth. henry wadsworth longfellow the wadsworth so it makes it like to be like it's the longfellow that makes it Poe decided that he was an imitator and a plagiarist. And I think mostly he just wanted, like, a reason to fight him. Like, he was just looking for an excuse. What's funny, though, is that Longfellow just kind of refused to give a shit. Like, he never actually engaged him. Don't like, feed it's, the trolls. It, yeah, it was referred to as, like, the Longfellow War, but there was only one guy fighting it. And that was Edgar. Never give up. Never surrender. Basically. He hated other writers in general. Dude was such a harsh and vicious literary critic that he got nicknamed the Tomahawk Man. Because I guess he'd verbally scalp them and, you know, racism. He hated the city of Boston. The reason for this... Oh, he has a lot in common then with old... Margaret Atwood. Yeah, Margaret Atwood. There we go. Did he fail out of Harvard too? You literally just read his bio. You know he had to drop out of Virginia. Well, what's his problem? I'm gonna say it if you give me a damn second. So right after he shot to fame with the Raven, he did like this huge reading at the Lyceum, Lyceum, yeah, Lyceum, why not, theater in Boston. And instead of reading, you know, the Raven, the thing that he was super famous for right then in that moment that people wanted to hear, he read this random childhood poem, like this super old poem, and they did not like it. And he was very poorly received. And a lot of people did a lot of write-ups where they were like, what the fuck is this bullshit? It's basically like if you went to go see the Killers right when they got famous for like playing Mr. Brightside, but they didn't play Mr. Brightside. They were just like, here's a song I wrote when I was 12. Hope you enjoy it. The Killers, Mr. Brightside, this is the best example you could come up with? Yeah, I was having some trouble, actually. You got a better one? Yeah, like, you go see any of these fucking old acts nowadays, they don't play the classics. Well, that is, but that's different. That you go see Springsteen, he doesn't do Born in the USA. What would that be? Well, a waste of money. Yeah, but don't you, okay, but don't you get it? That is like going to see Springsteen and he's playing old stuff instead of new stuff. They went to go see Poe because they wanted to well, see they, they the new stuff, the current <laughs> thing. That's why that analogy doesn't fucking hold up, which is why I went with the Killers instead. Oh, well, who's a hot band right now? I don't know. I'm old. <laughs> I don't know popular music anymore. It's like going to see Katy Perry. That's not popular. <laughs> and she doesn't do fireworks. <laughs> song that is? It'd be like going to see Lady Gaga and she breaks out paparazzi and you're like, what the hell is this? As opposed to what? It'd be like going you don't to... even know name of what's a Lady Gaga song that's happening now. Monster? I don't know. No! <laughs> <laughs> it's like going to see Kanye and he just starts doing uh... Oh, no, you're not going to be able to do this either. <laughs> he does uh, that album with the name Pablo in it. That's his most recent album. <laughs> it's like going to see Kanye and he does Really? Dropout. What's the whole album's name? Gold Digger. College Dropout. Holy shit. It'd be like going to see Queen and Freddie Mercury's not there and said you're stuck with Adam Lambert or something. None of these analogies make sense. Mine was the only one that worked. Other things that Edgar Allan Poe hated. I or at least actually. Yeah, no. 
Saturday That's a Rolling Stones song, you fucking yeah, Can you imagine going to see the Stones and Mick Jagger doesn't break that out with his hips? That's so old. Another person that Poe frequently I wanted to. Hot songs, oh so. my fucking god. Let's look at the top 100. <laughs> I'm curious. <sighs> see ya, see ya. Yeah, she's good. Great. I don't know these people. Yeah, because we're old. Oh, Demi Lovato. Sorry, not sorry. Oh, yeah, we heard that on the radio. Did. We did. There you go. Or T Swizz. Look what you made me do. Oh, that's such a bad song. It's a really awful song. That's the one where it's like, oh, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. She's hard now? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There you go. All right. I got my examples out there now. <laughs> Continue. Another person that Eddie frequently enjoyed fighting with was himself. You know that internet troll who uses, like, sock puppet accounts on forums and is just basically them, like, talking to themselves? I thought you were going to say it's going to be like Fight Club with Ed Norton. No, not, not physically. But that was Poe. When he attacked other writers in editorials or whatever and they didn't rise to the bait, he would write in as, like, anonymous readers with angry opinions and then he would write responses to those opinions and it would just be him fighting himself. Like, that is just so deeply masturbatory. Well, I've told you about my... No, never mind. What? My days on that workout website that Adam was on, and I made that handle Glorious Glutes. <laughs> glorious Glutes. <laughs> and it was, he would set it up, he would put the bait out there, and then I would debate him, and we would go back and forth. See if we could get other trolls to partake. You know, most normal people have, like, hobbies. I was Glorious Glutes. And then finally, Rufus Griswold, that guy that... We also mentioned earlier, because they were both just fucking petty-ass fucks that loved to fight each other, and Griswold got to be the pettiest fuck of all, writing a truly dickish obituary, which also he wrote under a fake name, the fucking coward under the name Ludwig, that started, Edgar Allan Poe is dead. (laughs) The old Edgar Allan Poe can't come to the phone now. Because he's dead. Uh, Well, no, no, that's not... I mean, no, that's not the... Edgar Allan Poe is dead. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. Like, dude, why you gotta be a fucking asshole? And as we mentioned, somehow he became the guy in charge of his memoirs and shit. And yeah, he wrote that off biography where it was like, Ed Poe was a fuckface drug addict, and he probably, like, sniffed his own farts and murdered babies, and yeah... That happened. Here's a list of things Poe liked. It's a much shorter list. Pussy. Uh, well, actually, he really loved cats. You'd think the dude who wrote a short story in which a guy gouges out like a cat's eye in graphic detail wouldn't be a fan, but you know, here we are. He had a cat named Katarina, and that cat died just two weeks after Poe himself did. But he did love the ladies, as I mentioned, and he did his fair share of philandering because, of course, he did, including fellow writer Francis Osgood, who Griswold also had a thing with and was just like another thing for them to bitch fight about. And finally, sports. Yeah, the uh, the pictures of him give this impression of like a sickly, anemic goth kid, but he was actually in good physical shape and did a lot of like swimming and rowing as a good Boston boy is wont to do. So that's a thing. You bust that one out there. Obviously, he's famous for writing dark and gothic stories and poems, but this is not necessarily because his life was horrible and depressing, because as we've established, it was, or because everyone he loved kept dying or leaving him, because they did, but also because he just hated those fucking hippie transcendentalists so 
much that he was like, I'm only going to write about dark and sad things like plagues and murder and dead girlfriends because fuck your sunshiny, nature-loving optimism. The world is a cold, dead place. Ah, Medgar Allan Poe. That's the thing. So first, kind of want to go over the some of the more famous poetry. Poe is, I feel like, a great introduction to people who aren't really familiar with poetry, if only because it, it's poetry. not... Poetry. <laughs> poetry. It's not, like, weird experimental type of poetry that, like, confuses and terrifies the normies, but, like, it has a clear narrative flow, it has a clear structure, it's very focused on sound, it's meant to be read aloud. And, of course, the most famous poem is The Raven. So what's kind of cool about The Raven, and I mean cool in the sense of I think this is neat because I'm a huge fucking nerd, is that there's a lot going on in it and several different ways that you can sort of read it. So we have this dude who feels really sad because that feel when no GF, and while we can safely assume she's probably dead, we technically don't know for sure if his lost Lenore just like dropped his ass for, say, Rufus Griswold. And then of course there's like a weird kind of guilt his sadness like he's tormented in a way that only people in gothic literature can be when they've done a bad thing and so then this bird i mean like here are your options he's gone so batshit over lenore because he killed her maybe that he projects all his weird feelings and angst on this poor bird that flew into his house and is just like looking for a window to like get the hell out of there or our narrator meets a for real actual talking bird and he's just so up his own ass that he's like, clearly this talking bird is here to torture me specifically for reasons, even though he's just saying one word over and over and not, holy shit, a talking bird. Maybe it's a parrot and Lenore sent it as a prank to fuck with him because he was a shitty boyfriend. A uh, parrot painted just, black? Yes. Uh, they're black macaws. Google it. Other famous poems include Annabelle Lee, which was actually Poe's last complete poem, and it's pretty straightforward, similar to the rest of it. There was a pretty girl, we loved each other so hard and sexy-like that the angels in heaven were so jealous that they killed her, because angels are dicks, I guess. And then the last poem that I want to end on is called Lenore, and it actually predates The Raven by a few years. Um, it was originally titled a, a Pain? A Pain? A, a peen? P-A-E-A-N. I'm just gonna say it's a peen, which means a song expressing triumph or thanksgiving, which, yeah, like, that's right in our boy Eddie's wheelhouse. But the name, the title was still switched to Lenore before the Raven came out. So what's interesting here is it actually kind of is a poem expressing triumph. Like, there's still a beautiful dead lady and a sad dude, and he gets a name in the poem. His name is Guy DeVere who is the beautiful dead lady's fiancé, and it takes place during her funeral. But Guy is like, no, you know what? I'm not going to mourn her death. I'm going to celebrate her life. So there. And you know what? Maybe we'll even meet in heaven. Yeah, which is just shockingly optimistic for Poe. It also kills any theory that this is kind of like a prequel to The Raven, because Guy DeVere does not sound like The Raven's narrator, fucking Captain Gloom and Doom. So either there's lots of dead women named Lenore... Or, for a spooky Halloween theory, Guy may have been her fiancé, but then it was the narrator of the Raven that killed her. Dun, dun, dun. 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 Or no. No. Draw your own conclusions. So, unlike his poetry, many's the student that I have taught who has bitched about the density of Poe's language. 
I love it because it's moody and evocative and descriptive and just like oozing gothic darkness, but I'm also a former grad student and a glutton for punishment. RJ, I don't know what your opinion is on his short story, seeing as you didn't know the fucking Telltale Heart was one of them. I don't like Poe. Do you want want to say why, or do you want to save that for the end? Nope. For a lot of people who are not turbo nerds, Poe's writing style can often come across as pretty intimidating to wade through. And it doesn't help that the man loved his archaic vocabulary, what with the obeisances and the nepenthes and all that shit. So for those who want the straight scoop with none of the fancy trimmings, Here's a blow-by-blow of some of Poe's most famous short stories, starting with The Telltale Heart. The Telltale Heart's summary is as follows. This guy I work for who's really chill and likes me a whole bunch and that I like a whole bunch has one weird gross eye and I hate him and I'm gonna kill him and hide him under the floorboards because this is what a sane man would do and that is what I am. Sane, I mean. You can, in fact, tell how super sane I am because I was just so chill and also smart about how I murdered this defenseless old man with one weird gross eye. Also, I might have got a boner when I did it. I don't know. This, this is the synopsis, basically, told in first person by the narrator. Like, I'm... That's it. He says it like that. He says, like, oh, you'll see that I'm very clearly sane. And you know I'm sane because I did such a good job murdering him for no reason. It has not been so much adapted, but constantly parodied in a bazillion different things, including The Simpsons and also Spongebob Squarepants, where instead of a beating heart, it was a pair of squeaky boots. Same thing, really. Uh, If you want to see something dope and kind of freaky, Google the 1953 animated adaptation. It's animated in, like, this crazy, surrealist Salvador Dali style, and it's spooky as all fuck, and you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's, like seven minutes long it's fucking awesome the fall of the house of usher don't fuck your siblings especially don't fuck your twin especially don't fuck your twin who has a history of seizures and might look dead but is actually in a post-seizure catatonic state but then you decide to entomb her in a coffin anyway while your childhood friend is visiting and wondering what the fuck is up with your weird unspecified illness that makes you hate light and your creepy seizure having twin and your house that almost seems like it's alive and it hates you because if you do those things you and your twin will die and your fucked up house will cave in on you also you might be vampires it has been adapted into multiple operas so you know that's a thing also like the telltale heart there's a really cool animated version you can watch on youtube It's from 2015, it's in a very cool, like, stylized CGI animation, and is narrated by everyone's favorite Dracula, Christopher Lee. Dracula. Yeah, you don't want to say anything about the fall of the house of Usher, you just want to make a weird noise like Dracula's coming. Fall of the house of Usher, thumbs up, I like Poe. That's a good one. You just said you don't like Poe. I guess I was wrong. That one's good. Yeah, you like fall of the house of Usher? Yeah. Alright. And Raven. And Annabelle Lee. So really, you're just full of shit. What are you talking about? I like Usher. Got the hot music. <sighs> it's getting hot in here. That wasn't Usher. That was yeah. Nelly. It's close. Which one's Usher? Um, that, oh, right. that one song with Lil John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, you know the name of that song? Oh, oh, and these are my confessions, which is a song about how he gave a girl herpes. How about my boo? I don't remember that one. I don't know. The Cask 
of Amontillado. Amontillado? Amontillado? I don't know how you do those double L's, if they're they're Y's or if they're just L's. Did you know Usher's real first name is Usher? That's crazy. <laughs> That's a horrible name for a child. Yeah. I'm going to have a kid named him Operator. Okay. Name him Doctor. Great. Professor. Let's get okay. a name him after a job. Monger. <laughs> come, come here, Monger. Young Monger Desk. Whoa, 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 don't dox me. <laughs> Definitely don't dox me. And you, don't, you know RJ's last name? No. Stein. The cask of Amontillado. My brother's RL. Which I'm upset that you won't do his books. He keeps calling me. He's like, RJ, it's RL. I go, hi, brother. He's like, RJ, you have this podcast where you do books. Please, mix in one of these. There's plenty. Ooh, we could do my hairiest adventure. Thought the boy turns into the wolf. He's but... not dead. Let's continue. The, okay. The cask of Amontillado. Or Amontillado, as the fucking case may be. I have some opinions about this one. Our narrator of this story, Montressor, is extremely pissed at this guy, Fortunato, because reasons. We're never actually told it's just some unspecified insult i mean it could be anything from not holding a door open for him to shooting his dog like we just don't know what we do know is that montressor decides the appropriate response to whatever rudeness was paid to him is to trap fortunato behind a wall forever montressor does not fuck around and here's the thing though like i don't think whatever fortunato did could have been all that bad because the man is a fucking moron he's as dumb as a 20 pound bag of dicks First off, he falls for Montrester's flimsy line of, hey, I've got some fancy Amontillado, which is like a sherry, actually. It's not even something good, like a scotch. It's a fucking sherry. And anyway, it's... Wow, hot take. Do you have sh- opinions on sherry? Yeah, good stuff. You, I've never seen you drink a mm. fucking sherry in your life. I know you can't appreciate it. I can appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Some port. I've, I've never seen you drink port either. You even know what sherry is. Yes. People usually cook with it. Anyway, it's down in the deep, dark catacombs. Let's go together. And it doesn't occur to Fortunato that Montressor maybe doesn't like him? Nah. And then, the whole way down the catacombs, Montressor is basically just making thinly veiled references to how he's going to fuck Fortunato's world up. Just like, hey, look at my family crest over here. I'm going to kill you. And Fortunato doesn't have a care in the fucking world up until Montressor starts stacking bricks in front of him. And so he walls him in, and Montressor actually almost feels bad about it. But not really. Don't be a Fortunato, kids. Don't go down into the catacombs with strange men. Even if they promise you there's a Nintendo Switch, a limited edition Pokemon figures, and 12 naked ladies down there. Don't don't go into the catacombs, Billy. Here is a particularly baller adaptation for you. It's just wild. Lou Reed... Famous Velvet Underground Lou Reed made a... Satellite of love. (laughs) Thank you. A truly bizarre Poe-themed concept album called The Raven, on which there is a track called The Cask. And it's not really a song so much as it's like a spoken word sort of thing while like there's just sort of guitar noodling going on. And so the role of Montressor is played by Willem Dafoe and Fortunato by Steve Buscemi. It's fucking wild. While a lot of it is line for line, there's some extras thrown in, like following uh, Montressor's line, I would punish with impunity with, I will fuck him up the ass and piss on his face. So if you ever want to hear Willem Dafoe say that, just hop on YouTube. It's something. The Mask of the Red Death. 
You can't hide from the plague, and by extension, death, even if you're rich and you try really, really hard to. The plague will show up at your fancy costume dance party and ruin it for everyone by making them bleed out from the pores of their skin and die, which will ruin pretty much any party. A story about how control is an illusion and nothing can stop the outside world from killing you, inspired by, like we said, that time when his wife Virginia just rocketed a geyser of fucking blood out of her face. There's apparently a film version made in 1964 starring Vincent Price, but I haven't seen it and I'm not really sure how you could stretch what's essentially one scene into an entire film, so I don't know. The Pit and the Pendulum. This is my favorite Edgar Allan Poe story, and it is just fucked. It takes place during the Spanish Inquisition, and our narrator, who we never learn anything about, has been thrown into prison by the Inquisition for equally unknown reasons. The name of the game here is Escalation. He's in a completely pitch black room. He has no idea how big or small it is. He carefully feels around and almost falls into a pit in the middle of the cell. He freaks out and faints and wakes up still in the cell, but now he's tied to a table and a razor sharp pendulum is descending ever so slowly and will, with that same aching terrible slowness, cut him in fucking half. And... Like, he manages to escape because, like, some rats tie through some bonds and it escalates even further from there with red-hot walls, like, closing in on him and just... Fuck! Like, the dense details of the prison that he's trapped in, the, the utter blackness, the tactile feel of the dank stone, his body being racked with, like, fear and adrenaline and confusion, its gothic horror fused with, like, a Kafka-esque nightmare 40 years before Franz Kafka would even be born. It's good shit. There is an animated short from the same anthology of the uh, Fall of the House of Usher one that I mentioned, and it's narrated by Guillermo del Toro, because occasionally the universe likes to reward me with good things. In all honesty, though, any visual adaptation, in my opinion, is kind of going to kill what's great about this story and, like, envisioning it in your head, so I would just as soon close my eyes and just l listen to del Toro's excellent narration. It is very good. And finally, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. This has the distinction of being the first modern detective story, beating Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to the punch by almost 50 years. In the story, C. Auguste Dupin attempts to solve a weird and terrible double murder that seems unsolvable due to locked doors, the murderer needing like to have superhuman strength to shove someone up a chimney, and people hearing the killer yell, but none of them able to agree on like what language he was speaking. Dupin is able to deduce that... Do you know? Do you, do you know who committed the Rue Morgue murders? Well, the reader... Because the reader could have put the book down at any time, but the reader kept reading and made it happen. Yep. You murder everyone in every murder mystery book you read. You are complicit. You um, are? It was an orangutan! Of course. Oh. Yeah. There was an orangutan owned by a sailor, and he stole the sailor's razor and escaped into a house and murdered two people. What the fuck? Some people, and I'll include myself here, have a problem with Poe's violation of the cardinal rule of the detective story, which, to be fair, I guess the rule didn't exist yet, which is that the reader should be able to guess the solution as they read, that the clues are there. Like, you can go back and see, like, ah, of course, okay, I could have put this together. The twist ending is kind of bullshit, because there's no clues given to the reader that would make them be like, of course, an orangutan! Like, at least Doyle made 
Sherlock Holmes mysteries like reasonably solvable until he got sick of writing them. But that's another story. The, the for orange hairs, the banana peels, the zoo <laughs> that was mentioned of moving into the city, the circus, <laughs> the sounds of. Ooh, ooh. It all made sense. It was all there. You just didn't pick up on it. Uh, you guys are simpletons. There are a scant few adaptations, and they are all bad. Scant. I said scant. Oh. A couple sort of non-specific. Uh, adaptations I want to mention. The first is Crimson Peak from Guillermo del Toro in 2015. It's its own thing, but it clearly draws heavy inspiration from the fall of the House of Usher, and that's not just because the evil siblings Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain are all gross and incesty. It's just like the height of like overwrought gothicness, and it's a pretty solid little movie. Calling it a horror movie sort of depends on your definition because it's not really scary per se, but it's very creepy and atmospheric. It's a good time. And then The Raven, starring John Cusack. So this is basically sexy Edgar Allan Poe. It's kind of like a CSI episode, but with Poe. It's actually not a terrible conceit, like a serial killer whose murders mimic Poe stories. So the cops bring in Poe first as like a suspect and then as like a consultant, I guess. Cusack is only capable of playing, like, John Cusack-esque characters. Like, it's pretty much just the same kind of dude. So, I mean, that's not really Edgar Allan Poe-ish. There's a sappy romance in there, and it's fucking terrible. Basically, the only thing they get right about his personality is, like, his dickish fight meanness. There is, however, a fun bit of fictional karmic revenge when the character of Ludwig Griswold, our friend Rufus, is sawed in half, pit in the pendulum style. And, like... That's fun, and that's funny, and while it's pretty bloody, it, like, wants so badly to be, like, a serious and tragic movie. If it had committed to being, like, goofy and over-the-top instead of, like, attempting to play it straight, it would have been way better. So, who would you pick to play an Edgar Allan Poe? That guy whose name I don't remember now. That guy whose name you don't remember. An inspired choice. John Hawks. Yeah? Yep. Why is that? Looks like him. Nothing else. No? You even had to look him up because you couldn't remember what the fuck his name was. Oh, man who looks like Edgar Allan Poe. So did John Cusack in the movie. He was still a shitty one. No one's going to know who the fuck you're talking about, though. That's really your choice? Who are you going to pick? Joaquin Phoenix. That's wrong and stupid. Why? It's wrong. I think he would do a good job of playing him because he is also a weirdo who wants to fight people a lot. And we know from the movie Her that he can grow that fucking ridiculous ass mustache. So yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. Nah, this guy looks more like him. Look, just as long as it's not like fucking Johnny Depp or Benedict Cumberbatch or something. All right, we've reached the end. Have we? Yes. I guess. The, the, The end of... The tales of poor Eddie Poe and his myriad of weird personal things and dark and terrible writings. So now we can officially say RJ, Edgar Allan Poe. Thumbs up everywhere. Yeah? Yeah. Because you hated him about 20 minutes ago. I've evolved. People evolve, Meg. In the past 20 minutes. It's a sign of intelligence. Little Eddie, he writes good stuff. I like that stuff. The Raven, pretty solid. Follow the House of Usher, solider. Not really, because it, it fell. They knew what they were doing. They collected the insurance money. They were dead. That's what they want you to think. The house fell on them. They also collected a life insurance. <laughs> they got 
A lot of insurance. Telltale Heart. Pretty good Simpsons episode. In short, Edgar Allan Poe. American hero. American badass. As far as I'm concerned. Him and Emily Dickinson are the best products of Boston ever. Imagine if they had kids. <laughs> oh, jeez. What is it about Boston that just creates these tragic people and their tragic lives? And then also, well, Boston didn't create Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood is from Canada. It just ruined her education. It created, it molded her. <laughs> molded? <laughs> I was born in Boston. Molded by it. <laughs> no, these two were born in Boston. She was merely molded by it. Okay, so, that, so, so Emily Dickinson would say, yeah, I was born in Boston. You were merely molded by it. Yeah. Shaped by it. Yeah. And then Emily Dickinson would, I guess, snap Margaret Atwood in half in this scenario. Probably so. I don't know how we ended up here. Hey, Megalita. Um, that's not my name, but yeah, sure. This isn't a Ting Ting song. That's not my name. That is your that's name. That's not my name. Is they that hot me, on the they chart call right me now? No, not for like at least a decade. Can you imagine going to a Ting Ting's concert and they don't play? I don't that's think anyone knows who the fucking Ting Tings are anymore because we're old. So, Megalita. Yeah. Tell Poppy. No. What do you think? Ah. Uh, oh, Eddie Poe. Well, I don't know where Poppy is, but I guess I'll tell you. I'm a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe's writing. It's something that I, as a writer, take a lot of inspiration from in terms of detail and setting and description and creepy shit. So... I mean, I like him a lot, but I can definitely see how people can come upon, like, some of his short pieces, like The Telltale Heart or The Pit, the pit and the Pendulum as a very, very dense fucking beginning with a lot of weird words and shit. So I can see how that would be a turnoff to a lot of people, that they would just be like, this is written in fucking old-ass words, and I don't like it, and I don't want it, but now we have YouTube videos where they will read it for you with cool visuals and stuff with it, and that's, like, a good way to kind of start wading in gently to, like, waste level of Edgar Allan Poness. I, I gave you, like, four different things that you could look up on YouTube because the internet is an amazing place. So give that a shot. If you don't feel like reading them, if you do feel like reading them, read them because it's fucking Halloween and that's what you're supposed to do during Halloween apart from like watching Nightmare on Elm Street and like Halloween Town and shit. So that'll about do it for this episode of Onola Class and the glorious month of October that I hold near and dear to my heart. If you like what you hear, if you derive enjoyment from this fucking verbal diarrhea, then please... Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Please? Pretty please? RJ, say please. Por favor. We would appreciate it. We're a tiny little show. We got like five fucking ratings up there. Do us a solid. (laughs) You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. You can listen to us anywhere that podcasts play. Or perhaps even on the wind, on a cool autumn night, as you're standing alone on an empty street. But you can also always listen to us at onolitclass.com. This week's onolitclass, best friend forever, hiding right behind you, breathing creepily down your neck, friends, is the show Turn of Phrases, hosted by Brisky. 
Turn of Phrases is awesome. It's a show that looks into the origins and history of, like, random idioms and metaphors and stuff. Like, bird in the, the hand is worth two in the bush. I'm out in the bushes grabbing birds. I've got them. She'll probably do a better job explaining it to you than I can. Hey there, y'all. This is Brisky from the Turn of Phrases podcast. Turn of Phrases is a show all about exploring the origins and histories of idioms, metaphors, old wise tales, and more. New shows come out every Monday. Come join me and the other toppers as we turn some phrases. Thank you to Best Day, as always, for our theme song. And sorry for ruining it with the spooky, scary skeleton songs. The next episode will be out on November 10th. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And this has been a spooky on a lit class. We love you. Bye. Nevermore.